in the middle of our series, The Gift of Joy, and today's title is Activating Joy. We're going to be talking about how we can sort of activate and begin our joy if maybe we're not in that mood during this season, and how we can find that true sense of joy, how we can find the true meaning really of Christmas, and so we're going to hit on those things. But if this is your first time here during this series, I just want to give you a quick recap of the past few weeks. In week one, we talked about Jesus being the essence of joy and how joy and happiness are not the same. How we can pursue happiness, but that doesn't mean that in our pursuit of Jesus, we're always going to find that happiness right away, or we're gonna. It's going to be different than what we usually think it is. And then last week we we talked about not letting anxiety rob us of our joy, and different ways that we can combat that and live with that, um, just in the course of our lives. Because if you're like me, this this is like a busy time of the year, and sometimes we think busy as really negative. But if we hold, you know, like on to what Christmas really is, that busyness can be a sense of joy in and of itself. And so we're just going to be um, taking this further even today. And so I just want to jump right in and just tell you our big idea, and that is our belief activates our joy. When we choose to believe and follow Jesus, that's when our joy can be activated. That's when it can start to begin. That's when we can start to get that true sense of joy. And so we're going to be looking at three stories today from Scripture And it's going to help us understand how our joy comes from our belief in Jesus. And how in those moments where maybe in our lives we might feel stressed, we might feel worried, we might be in a time of just at our lowest moment, if we choose to still believe and trust in God, we can still find what true joy is. And so the first story that we're going to look at is the story of Elizabeth and Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus. And so if you don't know the story, it's at the beginning of Luke. And uh, I'll just tell you a little about the characters involved. First, we have Elizabeth. Elizabeth. She is a very old woman, and her husband, Zechariah, um, they cannot conceive children. And Zechariah is a priest, and so he's someone who's just pursued after God his whole life, and he has an encounter with an angel. And the angel says, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby. And what we know as we read through Scripture is this baby becomes John the Baptist. And if you don't know anything about John the Baptist, John the Baptist is the prophet. Like, after a long time of silence between God and Israel, John's like this first prophet that comes along and he prepares the way for Jesus. He's like, you know, getting people to turn from their sin and to be ready, like soften hearts for them to recognize and understand who Jesus is. And so anyway, Zechariah is talking to the angel and he says, you know, like, well, how, like, is this even going to happen? Like, just really doubts the angel. And so if you read the story, you find out that he can't speak for the duration of her pregnancy because he doubted God could do this. And so this happens and Elizabeth conceives. They, they're going to have a child in nine months, the normal time for, you know, having kids. And so she goes into seclusion for the first five months of her pregnancy. And so eventually we see, you know, just how these stories fit together and weave and mold. And John the Baptist becomes this great man of God, just you know, speaking out against the things that are wrong during his time and really speaking and pointing to Jesus. And he's actually the one that baptizes Jesus later on as you read. And so then we, we jump to Mary. And so this is all in the first uh, Luke 1 and 2. And um, God sends an angel to Mary and tells her that she will conceive and give birth to a son and name him Jesus. 
The whole, like, you know, Christmas story starts with this, but the hard part is Mary is a virgin. And so we all know about that. We know, like, the, just how crazy that would be to be in that situation. But the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Jesus will be born, and he'll be holy. And so I don't think Mary grasps or realizes the, the complexity and maybe the weight of everything that she is going to be holding on to and bearing inside of her womb. But it becomes this, like, crucial moment where Mary chooses to just go with it and say, okay, this is cool, let's do it. And so she goes to, actually she goes to meet Elizabeth, which is her relative, and she goes to the city where Zechariah and Elizabeth live, and she just wants to like meet her. And so we're going to pick up the story, read a couple verses of their interaction together. And so let's read together in Luke 1. 41, and it says this, At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in this moment, this is like the first encounter of Jesus with someone else. And Elizabeth really is the first person to encounter this Holy Spirit, this new thing that Jesus is bringing. And Jesus isn't even out of the womb yet. The baby inside of Elizabeth, John, is feeling the presence of Jesus, and it says he leaves for joy. And that's because joy results from a belief and understanding that, like, Elizabeth was understanding that all that this angel had told her husband and everything that the angel had told Mary, all of this was going to come to pass. Their belief and understanding that it was going to happen. And so you even read in Luke 144, just a couple of verses later, it says, When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. So I don't know if this is the first time we get that expression, jump for joy, but it's pretty cool to think that it's not about people jumping up for joy because something great happens in their lives. It's about babies jumping inside of the womb because they're coming in contact with the one and true Savior, Jesus. And and so Jesus is being in the presence, sorry, just being in the presence of Jesus was enough for Elizabeth to understand the joy that comes from Jesus, that she felt it inside of her. Like, I wonder what that would have been like. You know, you, you, talk, you hear about mothers and the baby kicks inside and how that can be like a cool moment because there's just this little bit of interaction. How much greater of an inter- interaction to have when you feel your actually baby jump for joy. And for Elizabeth, when you think about this, an old barren woman who's just going through life and wanting a child and wanting to conceive with her husband, but never having that opportunity. And then to have this huge plan just come together in a matter of months. And then to have it even just come, just these little moments and little snippets where she's just feeling the presence of God and the Holy Spirit inside of her. And she has to just kind of look back and say, this is pretty cool. Like, this is awesome. This is what it means to trust in God. And so thought one today, we're just going right through, is belief starts with you. Belief starts with our decision when we choose to say, you know what, I believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and, he's gonna, and he did what he said he was going to do. Mary chose to believe the words of the angel. Elizabeth chose to believe that Mary was favored among women based on her experience with John's leap inside of her. And then believing that Jesus is who he says he is is something that we all have to decide to do. Believing that and understanding that Jesus came to earth as a sign of God's love for us, that he died and rose again three days later, 
is how we can choose to start this idea of joy welling up inside of us and coming out and actually affecting the way that we live our lives. It all starts with you. And what better time there is, is there during this year and during this season or in this Christmas time, but what better time to just kind of sit and process and understand the true meaning of Christmas? You know, God came to earth through Jesus and our response is to believe in him. Is this belief that needs to kind of be a light switch in our hearts, in our minds, however we think about that, that deep down inside of us feeling of I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. This is what Christmas is all about, that God is with us. So in this time of hustle and bustle and all the good things that happen during this time, we're talking about going shopping for presents. We're talking about, you know, doing Christmas sweaters next week. We're doing like just that idea that, and that joy and that, that sparkle in kids' eyes when we're talking about Christmas and that excitement. That is all good. And that's something that we can do and celebrate to pass on traditions to our kids and to other people. But the coolest part of everything is when we can just focus on what it is that Christmas is all about, and that's God coming to earth through His Son, Jesus. And so many are weighed down during this time as well, knowing that God is with us gives us a release from that anxiety, from that fear, from that tension, from that stress. Sometimes we think about God being with us, and it doesn't mean much to us because there's other people who aren't with us during this Christmas season. And that's hard, and that's hard to deal with. But the important thing is, is that in all those things, we can still trust and know that God is with us and that he's given us so much. Joy is activated when we believe in him. And so that doesn't mean that we just put on a happy face if we're going through struggles. And that doesn't mean that we have to act in a certain way just to show people I'm joyful and I'm happy. But it is important that we understand the true meaning of joy. And that comes from believing and knowing who Jesus is, that he did what he said he was going to do. And so we read, and uh, Elizabeth concludes what she's saying to Mary by saying this in verse 145 of Luke. It says, you are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. And the same is true for us. You are blessed if you believe that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. When we believe, joy is activated. And so even when we go back to the interaction between the angel and Mary, Mary's response is really telling about the joy that's inside of her. The angel said, For the word of God will never fail, in Luke 1.37. And Mary responded and said this, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. And then we know that she conceives as a virgin, and then the whole story of Jesus begins. When we choose to put our trust in him, that joy is activated and it lets us respond in a tangible way through our actions. And that leads us to thought too, is that your actions show what you believe. Your actions come out of the heart that we have with God. That if we've chosen to follow him, that we've chosen to believe, that should begin to make kind of root and should be cemented with the way that we do things, the way that we make choices, the way that we make decisions. And I just think about Mary in this situation, the complexities of a virgin birth, the scorn that she probably felt, the shame she probably felt for being pregnant and going to her family and saying, I'm pregnant, but I didn't do anything, you know, that was wrong. 
I didn't have, you know, she was engaged to be married. And so for this time, it would have been super shameful for her to even have intercourse or to be in a relationship that, to that level with her fiancé. And there's that shame involved and that, that understanding like she's going to be looked at differently. And this is all part of Jesus' plan to say, you know what, you're going to bear things and I'm going to have a humble beginning. And so that's what we read about as we go further in this story. Is that Jesus is born in the middle of a barn in a manger. And it's just not what you expect the Son of God, the King of the world, to be born into. And this is all part of God's plan to shame the things that are proud with the things that are humble. Mary's response is, I don't get all, how all this works, but I'm going to choose to follow and I'm going to choose to do what you've told me to do. I'm going to trust and believe that it will come true. It's kind of this just like, sense of like, okay, let's just bring it on. Let's see where this leads us. I want to be a part of this plan. In her her belief is impacting her actions. It's changing the way she lives. Mary was blessed because she believed, but her belief wasn't cemented until she let her actions fall in line with what she knew in her heart. When we do things out of this joy that's inside of us, that's what cements our relationship with God. That's what grow, helps us grow in maturity in our relationships with Jesus is when we let those actions, just those simple things that we can do to cement our relationship with him. And so it was a step in the direction of belief when she says, may everything you said about me come true. It's an outward expression of the inward trust of God. And so we can believe in our hearts, we can become more mature in our belief when we begin to let it affect our lives. And this is also a a crucial time in the year because we're coming along to the new year. And that's a time where we all think about New Year's resolutions, about things I want to do better next year that I failed on this year. And so I've decided this year that I'm going to try and make 2018 the best year for resolutions. And I've actually started a few things even months and weeks beforehand. And so I'd encourage you to take, not that you have to do what I'm doing and actually start now, but think about things that you can do and begin to plan for, for 2018. Because if you're like me, I'm like the super procrastinator person. And so on December 31st, the ball is about to drop in Times Square. And I'm like, oh shoot, what should I, like, I need to pick something to be my New Year's resolution. And of course, you know what happens. Like literally the first day, it's like, eh, I think I'll wait till next year. That's just like the classic, like, procrastination. Maybe I'll make it a day or a week, but because I haven't put prior planning and prior thought into these things that I want to do to better my life, then they're not going to come to fruition. And so just ask yourself this question. How can I let this thought of my actions show what I believe affect the way that I look at the strides that I want to take in 2018? What if over the next few weeks before the new year, we just said, you know what, in 2018, I want to really create some things and, and better my life in a way that shows the actions of the belief that's inside of my heart. Because the important thing is, and what we have to understand, is that God wants to be involved with every part and aspect of your life. God wants to be there when you're making financial decisions with your family. He wants to be there when you're making decisions or you're loving your spouse or when you're thinking about how you're raising your children. God wants to be involved. 
God wants to be involved with your job. He wants to be involved with everything you're doing. He wants to have this like one-on-one relationship with you where you bring your worries, your thoughts, your prayers, your hopes, your dreams, everything before God and you offer it to him and say, God, let's dream together. And so during this time before the new year, maybe you want to think about resolutions this year in a different way that would say, you know what, I want to love my spouse the best way that I ever have in our previous years in our marriage. I want to do things. And so those kinds of things are hard because they're not as tangible, but they can be if you choose to do it. If you said, you know what, I'm going to intentionally pray for my spouse each and every day for 2018. Make that a resolution. Make that just a simple thing that you can do. And then let, let that grow into other actions. Where when we're in this, you know, communication with God, he begins to speak to us. Well, if you love your wife so much, maybe you should serve her in this way. Or vice versa, if, you know, you're the wife praying for, for your husband. But it affects everything about us. We could think about that in the way that we want to be a better employee next year. Or maybe you have some health goals that you want to set in me in your life. And you, you think like, well, this is just like me, a me thing. I just need to eat better. I need to exercise more. But what if you've brought those things and brought that understanding to God and just like, God, I really want to get healthy this year and I want to offer this to you each and every day. Let God dream with you. Let God spur you on to good works and good deeds in your life to, and also to affect the lives of others. Because, and let me be clear, this is an important process and a distinction to make. This isn't, um, that we're doing all these things to prove that we're saved or to make ourselves like saved in the eyes of God. It's meeting God where we're at and saying, let's dream and move forward. Not like I have to attain a certain level or I have to become something and then I'll be worthy of God's love. It's very different. It's like wherever you're at in your life, meet God there, pray and understand, and then go forward and do stuff with God. I, like, I've been re- rereading the book Love Does, and it's cool because he just said, like, go out and love people. There's a reason we give that to our first-time guests every week, because we want you to imagine and dream of just the love that can come from God and the understanding that comes and how that affects our lives. So let's move on to the next story, and this one's a quick one, but it's a story of a rich ruler that comes before Jesus, and it's found in Luke 18, and this is going to talk about kind of our actions and how we hold God in the position of our lives. And it says this, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And so the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And so when Jesus heard his answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. And so there's some crazy things we could do. We could read that and say, well, do I have to give everything and sell all my possessions and, and you know, give all my money away just so I can store heaven, treasures in heaven? And the answer is no. The answer is we can't hold anything above our relationship with God. If you're going to choose, if you're literally talking to the Son of God and he says, sell your possessions, are you going to do it because he's the Son of God? Or are you going to say, well, I'm very rich. I don't want to follow you. And that's the clear distinction that we have to make. The rich ruler wanted to know what he could do on his own to attain eternal life. 
He wanted to do, 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 and go, go, go on his own without first saying, God, like, where do you want me to go? How do you want me to live? He'd already been doing his whole life since he was very young. He'd been doing, 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 and then finally he understands, well, what, like, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, it's like, you just have to depend on me for everything. Like, you have to choose to follow me and let your whole life be accountable towards me. And that's the decision that we all have. Jesus is saying clearly, he's just saying, let me be with you. Let me have all that you are. And so giving up what he found his identity in is what he had to do. And this is a decision that God puts before all of us, is what do I place before God in my life? One pastor that I was listening to, he calls idolism anything that's ultimate in your life. Anything that we would say is going to ultimately change who I am, going to change my emotions, going to change like almost physically who I am because something might happen in that area of my life. And so I think this is actually in a re-engage where I heard this. And he said, some of you place such a high burden on your marriage that when your spouse you know, messes up or does something that your whole world is rocked. And it's like that you've idolized your spouse over God. And so what do we place as ultimate above God? That's an important question we have to understand. His possessions and money were ultimate, then came God. If we're choosing other things that are ultimate before God, then we're not letting belief take root. We're, we're robbing ourselves of the joy that we can have in certain aspects of our lives. And so then in, it goes on in verses 26 and 27 of Luke 18. It says, Those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? He replied, What is impossible for people is possible with God. This is what Jesus replied back. What is impossible for people is possible with God. And so if we ever think that our actions are doing the work, then we fooled ourselves. If we ever think that we're in charge of our salvation other than the choice and the, the decision to follow him, then we're fooling ourselves and robbing ourselves of this true belief and true joy that comes from God. He did the work. He sent his son to earth because he loved us, because he wanted to be God with us. We don't do the work. There's nothing we can do to attain our salvation. And so when we become, when we get into this lifestyle and we begin to do these actions, we begin to see that there might be areas of unbelief in our lives. And, that, and that's where we need to go to thought three, and we need to acknowledge our unbelief. What areas in your life would you say, I have unbelief in? Maybe you're here today and you're still trying to figure out this Jesus thing, and you still don't understand that uh, your salvation comes from God. Maybe you're here and you're sick, as Ed prayed for. Maybe there's a, a health crisis that's coming on in your life, and you're like, I have unbelief because I don't believe that God can heal me. Maybe you question God's love for you. Maybe you question that his presence is just truly not there, that his Holy Spirit hasn't come into your life, and you have that, that you know, sense of God with us. It could be a number of different things. It could be issues in our finances. It could be issues in our marriage. But where in your life do we have unbelief? We need to address and acknowledge those things. The third and final story we'll look at today is the story of a father with a demon-possessed son. 
This boy is seizing. He's thrown to the ground multiple times. When he's in these um, times of being um, possessed, he uh, foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth. And so he brings this boy to some of Jesus' disciples, and he says, can you pray for him? And so they pray for him, and nothing happens. And so Jesus comes on to the scene, and we jump into the story in verse 21 of Mark 9. And Jesus says this, how long has this been happening? And so the, the father replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And so that's an important thing to understand. Is that sometimes we're all in that place, in those moments in our lives where we say, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. And I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what, you know, things you might be dealing with in your life here today. But it's important to understand that we don't, it's not this like, you have to believe or it's like all or nothing. Because sometimes I think if we choose to believe, then everything has to go our way. And then if it doesn't go my way, then, well, then that means that I'm going to stop believing. And I think it's important to understand when things and issues in our lives that we struggle with or things that we understand, it's important to go before God and say, I believe, but help me where I might have unbelief. The dad believed that Jesus could heal his son, but he admittedly also had unbelief. Instead of doubting Jesus because of where he didn't believe, he asked Jesus to help him in his unbelief. And that's an important distinction. He didn't say, because I have unbelief, I'm going to throw that and say that's Jesus' fault. He's going to say, I have unbelief, so God, can you help me? I have things in my life. My son is just seized by this evil spirit, and I need you to help me to understand how he can be healed. It's almost this prayer of God, bring me to an understanding of, a better understanding to your understanding of the situation that I'm walking through. A father is at his wit's end for the healing of his son. He chose to believe, but still needed help to overcome part of his unbelief. It's a real tension that we have to acknowledge in our own lives. It's something that we do have to continually hold with who we are and say, yes, I understand that I'm going through something and I'm going to choose to still believe, but I also have unbelief that I need to give to you, God. Walk me through this. Bring me through this. Two Christmases ago, my mom was sick with a brain tumor. And I just remember... I was not in the Christmas mood, if that makes sense. And so I began to like just listen to some Christmas music. And this one song came up, and it's a song I knew from a kid. You know, you all, you'll know it when I tell you what it is. But it's the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And for whatever reason, it's not your typical like bright, you know, sparkly Christmas song. It's more of a like a contemplative, like think about your life type of song. And it's in, like, I think it's in the key, like, I looked it up. It's the original, or if you just, you know, pulled out a hymnal in an old church, it would say uh, it's in the key of E minor. And so I'm not a huge fan of minor keys. I like the normal keys that are, like, not as, like, 
sometimes if you hit those minors, it can be like, ooh, I don't really like that, but it still sounds good, you know? And so it's kind of this, that was kind of like a picture of my soul at that time. Whereas like, I'm hearing that and that kind of resonates with my life. I don't really like what's going on in my life, but I know I still need to believe in God and, you know, trust in Him. And so when I was listening to this song, it's not a bright, it's not a, you know, a song where you seem like, oh, I'm so excited for Christmas, but it shows us the tension that we can hold when we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And if you know what Emmanuel means, it means God with us. So in the sense of one, the, like the first sentence of the song, is saying, O come, O come, but God, you're with me. Like, that's just, you know, who I'm going to identify you as, God, is like, you're God with us. But still this sense of, O come, O come, I'm in this really bad situation. And so as you, you know, listen to the first verse in the chorus, it then goes to this, like, rejoice, rejoice. And, like, that's where you get the joy of the Lord, is when you're in these moments and you choose to fight through and process and understand. And when you choose to hold that tension, I think God meets us there. And he said, I'm here. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. God is with us. And so I wanted you to listen to the first um, chorus, verse and chorus to understand kind of just how that can process. So just really kind of read the words that will be on the screen as we listen to this. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel. And mourns in lonely So, I think that's like when you let kind of music speak to you, when you let words of songs speak to you, and you let worship songs speak to you, you get a true feeling of like a cry of our heart. And so maybe you're here and you're in one of those moments. You might be at your lowest moment in your life. I just want you to believe I want you to trust in God and find that joy that's going to be resolute inside of you so that you can rejoice, rejoice, and claim that God is with you. That's like, that's the whole point of like Jesus' story. When you look at Mary, she was thrown into a situation I'm sure she wasn't joyful at all times the way we think of joy of being super excited all the time or having a smiling face. But I think at the end of the day, she said, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. 
And so this is what's cool about Christmas is when we choose to start letting that kind of cement in our lives and letting it create actions, we begin to see a process and a maturity of our faith and of our belief in him. Where what might seem impossible becomes possible. Where we see our salvation and understand the true gift that God gives us and how impossible that salvation is when we choose to believe and trust in him, it becomes very possible because we know God is with us. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. God is with us. And so our action point today is to do that just that. Believe that nothing is impossible with God. To believe that nothing is impossible. And so that starts with salvation. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, when we pray today, you have that opportunity. But some of us might have sickness in our lives. Some of us might have financial struggles in our lives. And we're like, I can't even get to next week. Some of us might have relationship issues with our spouse or with a loved one, a family member, a son or daughter, a father or a mother. But we can choose to believe that the impossible is possible with God. That we can pray and understand and have a relationship and communication with God. And that he's filled us with his Holy Spirit to show us that he is with us. That God is with us. That what he said he would do, he did. And he's continually doing And so today we're going to end our service by participating in communion. We'll pray and then we'll do communion. And what better way than to cement our belief in Jesus than to make a simple action of dipping a piece of bread into some juice and knowing what that symbolizes and just saying, you know what, I'm going to let this moment of taking communion cement within me the belief that I have. And I'm just going to let it grow from there almost like a seed. I'm going to plant a seed in my heart and say, you know what? I want my life with God to grow out of this. I want my life and my pursuit of Jesus to grow out of this one, you know, step or action to understand. In a big way, each time we take communion together is a step towards an action. It's a step of belief. It's saying, you know what? I'm going to choose to believe. And it becomes part of who we are that even when we're in other times in our lives where we were going through something that's hard or rough, that we can choose to make a simple action and choose to let it cement our belief in Jesus. We take the bread in remembrance and belief of Jesus' body given for us, and we dip it in the juice in remembrance and belief of Jesus' blood shed for us. And so you read in Scripture in 1 Corinthians, it says when you do this, when you're going to take of the Lord's Supper or communion to examine yourself. And so I'd encourage you as I pray to do that, examine yourself. And then if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't taken that step, that's your, uh, your pace kind of thing. That's where you can wait and you don't have to take communion. And there's no judgment in this place if you don't take communion. But we all get to examine ourselves. We all get to think, God, what's my next step? What do you want me to do in my life? 
And so it's what we can do over the next three weeks as well, that we can examine ourselves and say, God, maybe for 2018, what are the actions that you want me to do in my life that would help me to cement my belief in you and my actions? So I'm going to pray. And if you've never chosen to follow Jesus, you can repeat the part in my prayer where I'll talk about that. And then we'll take communion together as Mandy leads us in worship. God, we just come before you today. And first, I just want to pray for anyone that has never chosen to follow you. I just pray that they would just pray this prayer with me. God, I have sinned. I've, you know, done things that I'm not proud of, God, but I choose to believe that what you said you're going to do is true, that you came to this earth because you loved us. You died and rose again three days later, and I choose to believe in that, and I choose to identify with you, and I choose to let my life be changed moving forward. God, I pray for anyone who's praying that prayer right now. I pray, Lord, that they would make that decision, and I just I pray that it'd be a time of rejoicing, for you are with us. God, for others who are following you here already, God, I pray that we would begin to just let our hearts be moved towards you, that our hearts would see you, that our hearts would know you in a deep way, that we would know your love, that we would just understand that you are with us, that Emmanuel, God is with us, that we would understand what it, what it means to have joy in the midst of our trials, to just hold on to that tension of, God, I'm going through something really hard, but I still believe, so help me with my unbelief. God, let us do that today. As we take communion, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged. I pray that we would be challenged to just take other actions that show us our, that we believe in you. God, we just pray for each and every person in here that we would hold on to what Christmas is all about and that we would have that sense of who you are and what you came for. So we offer this to you in your name. Amen.